Hello, and welcome back to the Full of Chit Chat podcast on charliedemares.substack.com and on the Harbinger Media Network. Uh, we are pleased to be coming to you on whatever platform you're listening on. If you are enjoying the podcast, uh, please do rate and review us uh, wherever you listen to these things. Uh, with me today is one of my oldest and dearest friends. Um, uh, by that, I do not mean that he is himself old, uh, although I do mean that he is dear. Uh, but I have known him for a very long time. We were student journalists together uh, now uh, 20 years ago, uh, which is a, a staggering and humbling and um, frightening uh, prospect. Uh, he really shouldn't be this uh, old, given the number of uh, fillet of fishes that he has ingested uh, in his uh, relatively short time on Earth. Uh, but he is with us. And not only is he with us, he is in the top five of the BC bestseller list, uh, where his uh, freshly published this week uh, book, Destination Hikes in and Around Southwestern British Columbia, his follow-up to the monumentally uh, successful 105 Hikes uh, from Greystone Books uh, has just come out. Uh, he's fresh from his book launch uh, just last night, and uh, we are pleased to have him. It's my very uh, dear friend, Stephen Hoy. Hey, thanks for having me. Now I feel old. Yeah, well, you are old, man. Yeah. It's, it's like... Uh, once you've not like uh, there are friends that you know our mutual friend like uh, our mutual friend Ian Roxborough Smith, um, a history uh, professor at the University of the Fraser Valley. Um, uh, you know he is you know a, a friend who I've now known like like thirty five years, right? But we were just kids when we, like we met in in kindergarten or grade one. So there, you know we, we were old friends, but it doesn't make you feel old in the same way. You and I have known each other for decades and when we met we were doing something that like only semi grown-ups could do so now it's like it's just oldness yeah now i feel even older than when i started this interview <laughs> yeah well that's really the aim of the show i like to make like i mean technically anyone who listens to any episode will be 45 to minutes to an hour older once they're finished but i really want them to come away feeling more than that um that's my promise to the listener all right let's see what we can do yeah well um i this is also by far uh the shortest distance across which uh the podcast has uh yet been recorded um because steven and i uh in in addition to being um old friends a la sort of Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon, uh, are also neighbors. So we're about, uh, what would you say, 200 feet from each other at the moment? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the magic of the internet. Yeah. Neighbors together this way. Yeah, <laughs> the magic of the internet is we, is we can make each other sound distant, uh, even this close. Yeah, just what we always wanted. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, uh, but um, I'm very excited uh, for your book. I have my, um, my copy here. It is, um, I mean, without wanting to run down uh, 105 Hikes, which was, which was also very physically beautiful, this one is so 
colorful. It's it's really gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, what I like about this one is that because I could do you know four pages per hike rather than two pages per hike, we're able to put many more photos. And then, and so I'm really happy with like all these, uh, you know, colorful landscape and waterfall photos. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all, I love taking these photos. And so it's, it's, it's wonderful to see them, you know, in print full color. Yeah, because this is the other thing. These are all, these are your photos. And, and those of us who have known you for a long time uh, have followed your um, photos and writing through multiple platforms, I mean, you know, through the Zanga age of, of you know, web 2.25 um, blogging. Um, no, you were you ever on Zanga? You were Aquapulse. Yeah, I was on Zanga. I, I, I was mostly there just to, to troll other people on Zanga. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was ahead of my time. I was in the WordPress before uh, while you guys were into Zanga. Oh, Wow. You, I didn't know you were a WordPress early adopter. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, Zanga. <laughs> Zanga was, I mean, like when, uh, I, I mean, I, th I don't know if any other famous people spent time on Zanga, but when Kelly Oxford became famous on Twitter, it was like, wow, Red Dirt Girl from Zanga is famous on this new thing. Yeah, I know that was that was crazy to see because you know, like, yeah, us, us following her on, on Zanga and then seeing her become this like huge internet sensation is it's uh, surreal. Yeah, and then she broke through to just like a real life sensation. Like yeah. she went internet internet thing one, then internet thing two, then you get to be real. Yeah, yeah, like books and movies and stuff. I've, I'm still uh, trying to find internet thing one that will work for me. Yeah. So I'm still like two steps away from Pinocchio ending. Um, but, but, you, but the point that I was trying to make before we started comparing uh, early aughts uh, blogging platforms um, was uh, that, that, that always on, on Aquapulse and, 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 and even in the, the, the student newspaper, like you, you really were um, a photographer as well as a, as a writer. Like, do you, do you identify or think of yourself as, as a photographer? As, like, um, because we don't talk about it as much, you and I, when we talk about writing. And yet it, it feels like a really important part of your work. And it's definitely a very important part of, I mean, the last book as well, but this book, it's like, it's core. Yeah, I mean, you'll remember when I was starting out in journalism, I always took took photos for my own stories just because I love doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of a photographer, but I'm definitely more of a writer who takes photographs. Um, and but I've just always loved doing both. So no, yeah, I mean, no matter what newspaper I worked at, you know, Toronto Sun or, or Georgia Strait, I would always the peak. I mean, I, I'd always be sneaking hiking photos in the paper. Uh, you know, to illustrate environmental stories or writing about hiking. So, and, uh, but also just taking photos of, of news events in general. So yeah, photography is huge for me. I mean, it's, it wouldn't be as fun writing a hiking book without actually being responsible for the photos too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I get that completely. Um, uh, 105 hikes uh, had uh, a foreword um, written by uh, Cease Weiss, who is a um, longtime uh, activist and um, 
Uh, I believe she was the uh, indigenous storyteller in residence at, at VPL for a while. Is that right? Yeah. I think I, think yeah. I have that right. Yeah. yeah. And, and she's from um, the Squamish Nation. And uh, she wrote, uh, you know, a, a wonderful foreword um, to um, your, your first book. And, and your second book uh, has a foreword written by uh, Cecilia Point, who um, is an incredible uh, activist, uh, a, a associated, uh, you know, it, people who hear the last name know, you know, the, the, the Point family is, is this, uh, you know, just kind of incredibly, you know, legendarily uh, multi-talented uh, family of the Musqueam Nation um, uh, with, uh, you know, the artist Susan Point and um, uh, former Lieutenant Governor um, Stephen Point and um, Cecilia is, is this also this just, you know, incredible um, activist and, and, and she's written a, a very, very uh, uh, glowing and affectionate um both sort of welcome but also just introduction to to your um to your book i, I read it last night and the, the the language she uses is 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 really uh really quite warm and wonderful and and i just wanted to i guess ask you um why it is that it's it's you feel it's so important for for you know a nature book um uh, an outdoors book um, uh, set in this part of the world to to have um, a forward uh, written written with with that uh, sensibility uh, in mind and 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 coming from 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 that perspective. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, C. Swice and and Celia Point, they're both two uh, you know super wise, politically active, you know, culturally knowledgeable people. I've you know when I when I when I knew I was going to write a hiking book, those are people I was thinking of and, and I'm just honored that they agreed to actually write the forwards for these books and um, yeah I mean hiking is is all about getting out on the land and um, you know there's 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 a lot of people who approach hiking as as you know in a very colonial mindset you know exploring conquering mountains first ascents that kind of thing I think having a forward by you know with uh, C. Swice or Celia Point you know dropping some knowledge and providing important context, you know, gets the book off on the right foot and, and hopefully leads people to, to get out on the land with a little more respect and, and knowledge that, you know, this isn't just, you know, this isn't barren wilderness. This is, these are landscapes of culture and history um, and contemporary activities. And, um, and uh, you know, and also I think, I think it also helps to, I think, you know, kind of bust that dominant image of, of uh, white outdoorsmanship mm -hmm. that is associated with, with hiking. You know, hiking in, in a way is like the official pastime of colonialism in, in some ways. And so, and you know, I love hiking, right? But, but um, you know, it's, this, this image that, you know, white people are the, the holders of knowledge of, of, of the outdoors, just, it, it um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a, huge disrespect to the, the indigenous knowledge uh, in the area and the fact that you know many immigrants and racialized people come from cultures with strong hiking communities whether uh, hiking cultures whether it's you know Korea or Iran um, and so yeah I mean I think it's it's all it's all that it's it's but also it just it's uh, just a wonderful way to open the book. Yeah um, I, I mean it, Coming out of that, I mean, I mean, what what do you think, or do you think about uh, the impact 
uh, that you know you as a as a as a Chinese Canadian author uh, as being the, the the person now kind of associated with I think what will be the sort of the two big uh, you know local hiking books um, for for this area is there you know what what's the what are the potential um, uh, implications and upsides of 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 that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I've definitely heard from people that are, you know, happy to see that, you know, writing a hiking guidebook is a dream I've had since high school, right? Um, the predecessor to my first book, 105 Hikes, is 103 Hikes, and, and that was my favorite book in high school out of any kind of book, and, and you know, back then I dreamed about writing a book like that, but I, I really thought it wasn't possible, you know, who's going to buy a hiking guidebook by a Chinese person? Um, you know, would it sell, you know, that kind of thing. And that was, you know, 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm, you know, really happy to say that that is, you know, not the case now and that yeah. people are loving the book and, and um, I've gotten lots of good feedback and, and definitely there's people of color who are, you know, happy to see um, some more diversity being represented on the scene. There's a, there's a, a climbing guidebook author in, in Ontario uh, who's also Chinese and we found each other on Instagram and he was like so overjoyed to find another uh, you know an another Chinese guidebook author he he didn't know one existed so <laughs> and that was cool yeah well and it's funny you met you mentioned uh, Korea as having a strong um, hiking culture and then the moment you said I mean I I hadn't known that in the sense of like the broader uh, you know sociological but then immediately anecdotally I thought of Korean friends over the years and yeah, all of them had this very strong, like outdoorsman kind of uh, personal history and, and, a, and a connection to hiking and, and being in the outdoors. And, and uh, um, yeah, I, I hadn't, I hadn't sort of connected it in the same way as like you think of like British rambling culture or, or, you know, hiking, um, uh, you know, the, the, it it has been so sort of packaged, um, and I always sort of thought of it. in in and one of the things that I I feel like made me less interested in um, in that as even, despite growing up out here, it was that it felt to me like kind of part of this sort of corny uh, culture of like. Yeah, the, the 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 just the sort of like um, being out on the edges of the British Empire, and and this was something that you know you you did as a, as a kind of like pink faced uh, you know son of the son of the British Empire was like go out with a you know rambling stick and 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 uh, and you know I never understood why I didn't why I wasn't interested in hiking. I love walking. I I've, I've been a walker for my whole life and. And it's only in like recent years that I find myself kind of getting out into the um, uh, getting out into the outdoors. But there, there was something that just felt like when I when I went into, you know, mountain equipment co-op or something like that, it just there was a very particular kind of uh, upper middle class um, cocoon around that this culture that 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 felt very uh, off putting at times. Right, like you're standing in line in Mech and you're hearing this, you know, uh, mining exec talk about, you know, the, the next place or summit they're going to conquer. It's a little weird. Um, right. But, but mining yeah, for I mean, memories. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, Mech, I mean, Mountain Equipment Co-op and now, now Mountain Equipment Corporation or company or whatever it is. Yeah, it's um, a very tragic. 
Yeah, I mean, they, 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 I mean, they also had that apology a couple of years ago, um, you know, apologizing for perpetuating the image that people of color don't, you know, hike, ski, snowboard, etc. So, I mean, yeah, that was definitely something that, that I noticed over the years that, you know, the, the, the big posters on their walls and, and, and the images they used for their models, very white. Um, and so they, they, you know, they did have an apology a couple of years ago about that, which was nice to see, but it was also just, you know, it's something a lot of us had noticed for years and, you know, just kind of, you know, wondered because when you go into, you go into the next store, it's quite a diverse crowd shopping there. Yeah. And not tell, and then for, for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with what's happened with MEC over the last few months, um, th- th- things have taken a sort of tragic turn. Yeah, I mean, so so Mountain Equipment Cooperative, uh, you know, storied history in Vancouver, uh, a, a co-op for, for high-end, uh, well, you know, good outdoor gear, um, you know, had some uh, financial troubles and, and uh, yeah, they, you know, basically uh, sold out to a private equity uh, firm in, in the U.S. And so they're uh, no longer a co-op. All of a sudden, all the longtime MEC members were suddenly no longer members. And so there's definitely less, you know, less warm, fuzzy feelings about MEC um, than there used to be. But they're, they're kind of banking on holding on to some of that nostalgia, I think, as they, as they you know, go forward. I... Um... Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's it's such a bummer. I mean, it's it's you know they 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 were just such. It was one of those things. It was just kind of very much. Uh, I mean, they they were they were sort of the non-obnoxious or slightly less obnoxious uh, Lululemon before Lululemon. Like they were the uh, the Vancouver brand that was kind of you know this thing that you know locals could kind of giggle about while at the same time uh, buying the shit and 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 using and wearing the shit and like it was the sort of thing you know whether you climbed mountains or not they had good raincoats and it's a wet city and you know that kind of thing but but um uh yeah i i have a friend who worked there for a very long time uh you know i at a, you know he got to a point where i think he was fairly um high up in the in the uh uh structures of the of the co-op and and um yeah he was just like heartbroken when when all this went down like it was just it was uh, a feeling of real betrayal yeah and 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 mech you know really did play a bit of a, a community role um in the outdoor in the outdoor world here you know hosting events and and bringing clubs together they they you know for a while they provided funding for the club i'm involved in the the Wanderung outdoor recreation society to help us offset our insurance costs um until they kind of changed things a few years back. But um, yeah, I mean, and so it, it's, it's sad to see them some go this way. And, and also over the past several years, it, it, it's been sad to see them go away from the, the solid technical, um, you know, just really good gear and, and, and really go into the popular stuff. That some of which has nothing really to do with, you know, serious outdoor pursuits, but it's more like just for like the beach and whatnot. So last year, uh, when the pandemic really started um, getting quite serious in in this part of the world, and 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 people were still, uh, you know, things things were not quite <clears throat> clear in people's minds what their 
what their responsibilities were as as citizens or or what the expectations were on 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 them for sort of internal um, provincial travel or regional travel um, you you were on social media you know as the author of a, of a book about you know how to make use of these uh, local you know hiking trails and 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 what have you um, you know basically you, you you took to social media asking people essentially to not use your book for um, the, the time being, right? Like uh, th there was, a, I guess, an ethical, uh, an, an ethical tug at, at, at you to like, to, to remind people like that they weren't to be um, traveling at that point. I, I, can, can you tell me a little bit about what it has felt like or what it's been like to be the author of a, a, a book that helps people move around, uh, you know, during a time that they've been asked not to, uh, in some ways. Um, and, and then also um, what it's like to release a book uh, about destination and, and, and local travel, you know, just as people are finally allowing themselves to kind of hope again that, that they'll be able to, to, to move around. Like, like literally, you, you just launched your book last night and today, the, the CBC is running stories um, quoting doctors that, who are saying, you know, that they expect people will be able to do at the very least intra-provincial travel by this summer and very likely inter-provincial travel uh, by this summertime. Oh, wow, that's good news. Uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's been really amazing to see the, the high level of interest and excitement about hiking. You know, everyone's just needing to get outside. Um, and, and looking for places where they can get away from crowds. So, um, you know, that, that in, initial sort of uh, messaging about, you know, staying local and, and, you know, when they were telling us to stay home. Yeah, I mean, I just thought that there, there was definitely a huge debate uh, in the hiking community about, you know, whether, whether to, to do that, whether to ignore it. And, and, and there was a lot of arguments on Facebook groups and whatnot. Um, it just seemed to be at that point, we didn't know that much um about the virus and and you know the 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 doctors were telling us the public health officials were telling us to be you know cautious and to take precautions and i thought you know you, you know as someone who's involved in the hiking community and you know like to think of of things in a community way you know let's you know we these trails are still going to be there you, you can stay home and stay stay on your local greenway for a couple of weeks it's not really a big deal right i mean mm -hmm. um that there definitely is a libertarian streak through a lot of people in, in the hike community and there are plenty of people who seem to just disregard the public health advice and, and, and go out regardless, go farther afield. Tell, so, tell me more about that because, you know, one of the interesting things about this book, uh, that, that the, the, the new one, Destination Hikes, I mean, you, you open it and, and almost at the very beginning, there, there, there are guidelines for... Uh, you know, the ethics of, of hiking, uh, you know, the expectations, you know, don't do this with your dogs, don't do this with your, uh, your waist, uh, you know, here, here's the expectations on you, here's, here's, what, here's what behooves you going in. Um, so, so it seems to me um, to be like, uh, like hunting in a, in a lot of ways, uh, where, where there, it's, it's sort of culturally associated with a kind of libertarian streak, but when you actually engage with the subculture itself, there, 
there are very well understood rules that that that, that people are, are are really expected to to follow um, if they don't want to be thought of as as scumbags. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely these uh, minimum impact practices, you know, popularly known as like pack it in, pack it out, take only photographs, leave only footprints, that kind of thing. There's, you know, leave no trace um, principles. And uh, yeah, I mean, those are, in, in a way, those are quite individual too, because they're all about, you know, doing things yourself, how, how you do things yourself. Right. Um, but yeah, those are, those are fairly commonly held as, as, you know, community standards for hiking. And, and so I think, and, and, you know, there is actually, if, if people see other people doing it, especially in, in social media posts and whatnot, there is a bit of shaming that goes on, which is, is not always nice. But yeah, those are the baseline kind of community expectations. And I'm glad they're there. And they at least give people, you know, something to, to have an idea that no, when you go out, you don't throw your orange peel or your banana peel, because, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's natural. But that banana peel could actually sit there for a year. It takes so long, right? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to open a guidebook with some information about safety and, and outdoor ethics and, and a little bit about etiquette, too. There's just little rules that help make things a little easier, like the people that are going uphill get the right away, um, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's important to, to have that stuff um, in, in the front of every guidebook. And I, and I also like to weave it throughout the the hike write-ups because you know a lot of people are just going to skip over the front anyways i mean that, that type of thing to me is a that's a class thing as well or, or or if it's not a class thing or a cultural exclusion thing it's a it's 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 also a, a, a cultural welcoming thing because something like uh you know right of way to those traveling uphill that's a thing that you you're either going to learn from a book like this or you're just going to have to have it passed down from your family that was that were hikers, you know. Like you, you, either there's either there's a, an entry point um, in in a book like yours that that democratizes and and welcomes access to hiking, um, uh, or uh, it just it just keeps being this this sort of um, cultural thing that's handed down uh, generationally. Um, and and yeah. you know when you live in a place like Vancouver where uh, you know, more than 50% of the population comes from either somewhere else in the country or somewhere else in the world, uh, you then, you know, ensure that uh, that culture gets, you know, smaller and smaller and, um, unless there's, um, and more and more exclusive, unless there is a, a, an explicit attempt to to make it open to others. Yeah, and definitely, um, uh, you know, I learned a lot of my hiking knowledge from from books, guidebooks, and, and also from being involved in clubs. Um, and, and what I liked about, what I like about the, the main club that I'm involved in is it's incredibly diverse, a lot of immigrants. And so, yeah, I mean, you're passing on knowledge to each other and you just, you don't necessarily get that if you're, if you're joining the more loosey goosey meetup groups or, or just going out with friends. So yeah, having those, those, um, you know, conduits like guidebooks and, and organized clubs um, organized clubs that are, are welcoming, at least, um, are, are important for passing on these kind of, uh, you know, community ideals and, and uh, expectations. How did you get involved? Like, how, how did hiking and, uh, you know, the, the whole outdoors kind of world, how, how, did, how did that become part of your life? You know, I, I don't know why, but my parents put me in scouts. And so um, 
you know, we never did any camping as a family or anything, but put me in scouts and that got me into, into camping. I wasn't in one of those good scout troops that actually did a lot of hiking, but you know, it taught me how to make a fire, uh, you know, uh, play with gas and, and other sort of pyromaniac stuff, but and <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Did they officially uh, frame it as playing with gas? Was that the the badge? No, you. you the rule was don't play with gas. Gotcha. But, of course. Gotcha. Then you just have like you know eight boys sitting around a fire with their sticks in it, and uh, you know lighting moss on fire and soaking it with gas and whatever. <laughs> right. But you know that taught me uh, you know responsible uh, fire management and whatnot. And then it was really high school. Um, high school outdoor clubs and I went to high school in Burnaby and they had some some really interesting uh outdoor education opportunities and outdoor clubs like teachers who really want the extra mile to to bring students out uh-huh. and so I'll always be appreciated of that because it that's what really got me into hiking and then and then it was you know uh friends from high school we just you know ran with it and and just did a lot of hiking and and um you know that continued throughout university I got involved with, with uh outdoor clubs at SFU, San Francisco University. And then, you know, just, yeah, hiking became a, a part of my, part of my life. And, and so, it, you know, it's, it's basically my favorite thing to do. I'm a bit of a specialist. I don't really do that many other outdoor activities. They're all kind of related to hiking. What, what is, what's it like to, to write is what essentially becomes the sort of, you know, franchise successor to your favorite, uh, a high school book i mean that's 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 insane it is bizarre because it was a very very specific dream you know yeah and to have that come true um which i totally didn't think was possible um is is amazing and it's a big responsibility i mean i love i love those the the previous books and it was it's it's neat i i got an email from um a niece of the former authors yesterday uh congratulating me on the new book so it's really oh. nice that that's really nice i mean yeah to hear that she's also seen the other book and and you know she 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 likes it and and whatnot and and also just uh my launch yesterday was hosted by the bc mountaineering club which is was kind of the the home of the previous book that's where the authors came from so it was nice to be be welcome into there and yeah it's a huge responsibility because i feel like guidebooks are they're more than just a set of directions. I mean, there's that responsibility too. And I get heck whenever there's anything that's uh, changed on a trail or there's been a, you know, I have a couple of errors or whatnot. Right. Um, but, but also, um, you know, it's a, it's a chance to write about the nature and culture and history of the area. And, and, you know, the previous guidebooks, good guidebooks include that kind of info. It really deepens the experience for, for the reader, for the hiker, especially for me. So um, I also take it as an opportunity to, to uh you know shed some light on uh you know more than just uh the trail you know what's what uh, a bit of the past what's the importance of the area uh culturally and and uh whatnot so it's yeah it, it's 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 a responsibility but it's like what a, what a joy to be able to do this yeah no kidding uh, a little bit more than a year ago I, I think it was british columbia magazine uh ran a feature about the, the, the sort of uh, what they framed as a kind of unsustainable boom in, uh, you know, outdoors tourism in, in British Columbia, that there were essentially these um, 
that there were essentially these these through through the kind of explosion of of sort of selfie driven um outdoorsmanship and 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 the kind of like the instagram moments and uh the the sort of um social media mediated um experience of 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 the outdoors that there were these you know particularly picturesque uh bc outdoors destinations that had been pushed beyond their level of um what what they could accommodate uh, in a in a reasonable way um do you see that as a a, a genuine concern and and if so is there um is there a way to keep these things accessible and 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 democratically sort of open to the to the greatest number of people uh, without overwhelming them and and without undermining what is in a lot of cases like a volunteer run um, uh, you know maintenance and 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 keep that kind of stuff out of for instance like corporate hands yeah I mean there was already a lot of concern about trails being overrun and and um you know, not being maintained enough and, and lack of BC Parks funding and, and whatnot before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, of course, like the most popular trails got even crazier, like the mm-hmm. parking all the way, like down the roads and, um, you know, um, dangerous situations, people walking on Highway 99 and, and whatnot, and, and just, you know, huge crowds. And, and so that really put that issue into focus. And um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's concern about all the, all the, you know, BC marketing around the outdoors and then, and then, you know, that is that marketing associated with enough BC parks funding. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, you know, there hasn't been a lot of trail building in BC parks uh, in the past number of years. And, you know, having more trails that are up, upgraded and maintained and built to a certain standard that can handle a lot of people would help, you know, spread, spread people out. Um, and um, I think I think there's also there is a bit of a, a troubling tendency within part of the hiking community to to think about user fees and and passes as as the answer. That's a bit scary to me. Um, hmm. You know, limiting public access. Uh, you know, it's one of those more affordable activities. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the it's the it's the driving that is the the main barrier. Um, but you know, having user fees and and reservations and whatnot. I mean, I think if you're going to go with passes and reservations, it's got to be, you know, when it's really, really necessary. It's worked on some of the most, you know, popular trails in the national parks and whatnot. But user fees, I would hate to see uh, user fees. uh, This is this, this, this pernicious idea that money and is the one neutral uh, way of uh, mitigating you know, overuse of, of some sort of resource or, you know, the, 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 and this, this is such a, 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 an in, in the bone idea, particularly in environmental thinking. Um, so for instance, you know, we, we talk about air travel as being this, this, you know, desperately destructive environmental uh, phenomenon, which, which it is. Uh, so then the only, uh, the only solution that's ever presented uh, is uh, what well, make uh, make tickets more expensive, and 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 it's and it's like oh so so rich people just get to keep going on as many trips as they want, and working and lower middle class people you know 
maybe get to see their family once every five or six years and, and, and maybe get to go on one big pleasure vacation and in, in their whole lives. Like it's, it's, it's just this fundamentally unfair thing, but, but we treat money as, as the sort of, um, uh, you know, rational, uh, and I mean rational in multiple senses of the word in terms of, you know, also rationing out uh, the, the, the resource, you know, it's, it's treated as the, as the one kind of like neutral or fair way of, of dealing with scarcity, which of course it's not remotely neutral or remotely like value free. It's, it's completely a loaded way of, of, of determining who gets access to waterfront, who gets access to nature, who gets access to whatever the, the, the this, you know, the scarce thing is. Yeah. I mean, you, you still want people to get outside uh, to enjoy, enjoy nature and, and by enjoying it, become concerned about its future. Um, but you don't, yeah, you don't want to tax that directly. I mean, it's not like a carbon tax where you're actually, you're trying to motivate a change in behavior by taxing the pollution you don't want. You don't want to right. tax access to the outdoors. Um, you know, this should be funded through just, you know, the full, you know, general um, revenue. And, and um, I think there's, it becomes a, kind of palatable to have user fees uh, to a lot of hikers when, if you just say, oh, the money's gonna go back into the parks. And that's fine and all, but you know, I mean, that's, it's really just, it's not the right way uh, to do things. And, and yes, it will limit, um, you know, who's able to access those parks. I mean, if you, if you wanna, the thing is too, is, is part of it is you wanna, you wanna limit parking maybe, right? So mm -hmm. that means we need public shuttles and, and, and there, are, there are, you know, programs like Park Bus that have started to, to run like a nonprofit shuttle service, but we, we need more of that um, so people don't have to drive to the parks. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, you want to have public access, so we don't want to make it more expensive for people to do something that, um, you know, is thought of as something you can do that's relatively free. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the, the, the uh, place that the outdoors and enjoyment of the outdoors plays in, in BC uh, and Vancouver tourism. Uh, marketing, but I mean, also Vancouver and, and Metro Vancouver um, condo marketing and the real estate marketing. I mean, it's, 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 it's sort of a built in, you know, subsidy to this, this real estate market that the idea is you've got access to this, you know, this is basically if you buy your 700 square foot slice of multi-million dollar Vancouver, this is your backyard. And you've got access to all this stuff. And, you know, in the winter, you've got, you've got winter on a leash, right? It's not, like, it's not like Ottawa or Winnipeg where the snow comes right up to your front door. You know, you've got snow and ice, but they're on the mountain. Uh, and you go to them when you want to see it. And, and you, you know, the outdoors is, is, is totally this part of the way that Vancouver is packaged and sold not only to people in the city, but to people, sorry, not only to people outside the city, but to people in the city itself. But then, like you say, you know, nobody, nobody has to actually, nobody who's, who's cashing in on that is, is, is paying anything uh, into, um, you know, keeping, keeping that, keeping that going or, or sustaining that. So, so you have these trails that are maintained in a lot of cases by clubs or, you know, purely on a volunteer basis um, that are essentially being used to, to sell hundreds of millions of dollars worth of 
condominium. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely there's the trails that are managed by you know provincial and municipal governments, and but yeah, most of the stuff that is outside parkland is on um, you know provincially provincially owned land, you know, unceded territory, but it's it's managed by yeah volunteers with clubs, hiking clubs, mountaineering clubs, uh, mountain bike a lot of mountain bike trails. And yeah, it's, it's volunteer and those trails, their conditions go up and down depending on, you know, who's, who's dedicated to it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how much marketing, yeah, I mean, maybe there should be a condo marketing nature tax or something. But. Anything you, in, any land that you include in your photo uh, for, for selling your, your condo, uh, you have to uh, help keep up. Like, you know, the, the, if, if, if it's in the image that you're, you're putting in your uh, ad in the Georgia Strait, uh, then, then you, you know, you've got to pay for a trail in it. Um, <laughs> what, what, what would you say is the current level um, among, you know, the outdoors communities and, 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 you know, the hiking world in, in the lower mainland? What, what, what is the level of engagement with or understanding of, um, you know, you mentioned unceded territory, uh, What's the engagement with, um, you know, indigenous land sovereignty uh, in 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 this part of the world? Um, I think it's it's still pretty, pretty, um, pretty early. For, for has it changed in your time um, uh, in in the community? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say there's more there's more interest um, in it. I don't know if there's more. Um, political awareness or, or um, change in thinking in that way. There's definitely more interest in knowing about whose land is it um, and an interest in learning about place names and, and, um, and uh, indigenous use of, of the backcountry. country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, w- I don't want to generalize, but I would characterize it overall as more of interest that it also, you know, it runs the risk of being something that people just, try to consume um right um but there's definitely more interest and so hopefully that means um you know that there's going to be you know more respect and that we'll all learn uh how to better engage um with indigenous nations um because you know all these trails are built without permission and 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 whatnot there's you know a lot of them go through sacred areas um you know there's sacred mountains around here and, and all sorts of places so um, you know, the more we can do there, the better. And, and so one of the best parts of writing the books for me is, is, is trying to, you know, uh, researching and finding out about these places and, and, um, and, and, and finding about, about, about the place names and the languages and, and, and whatnot, and hoping that provides a, a little bit more context to, to hikers as they go out. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that's really, I I found deeply moving in, in um, Cecilia points forward to to your book was that, that one, it's, I mean, it's very grounded in the, the exercise of uh, indigenous sovereignty over the land. And two, it's also really responding to your love of and engagement of the territories like like she writes of her her resonance with your deep affection for for this for these territories and 
though that affection you know the way you've described it has been has been nurtured through this um through this hiking culture and and engagement and and so you know it, it's 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 not a matter where it, it doesn't seem anyway to be a matter where like you know kind of frozen guilt is the is the the productive um outcome but but it does seem like you know if if clubs for instance just had it as a matter of course or as a matter of 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 instinct or reflex that like you obviously um you know reach out to uh the uh nations uh who have sovereignty um over uh the 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 land that you want to build or maintain a a trail on or or you know just that kind of thing i mean knowing whose land you're on and 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 I mean, how do you how do you see ideally, um, uh, you know, for obviously from the from the non-indigenous side, uh, res- what would respectful engagement begin to look like in in that way? Yeah, and I think we're we're seeing you know little bits happen here and there. You do see you do see Squamish Nation markers on on a lot of trail signs, um, you know, within Squamish territory, and that's due to uh, some engagement there. There also are programs that that are bringing you know bringing indigenous youth uh, out onto the land through through mountain biking and hiking um, and um, you know connecting making connections that way between both communities as well as just providing opportunities for indigenous youth to to get out um, there's an organization called Indigenous Women Outdoors that is doing uh, amazing work yeah I think it's just it's there's just uh, more engagement and, and uh, a need, you know, to, to uh, practice the respect and um, to, to gain permission, I, I think, is, is, is what's needed, probably. Yeah. You know, gain permission. And I mean, ideally, it would be great to, for, you know, the, the historical um, stewards and, and holders of, uh, of this, you know, these lands to to also be seeing some of the, uh, you know, financial um, uh, upside of, 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 as you describe, uh, you know, a pretty massive um, industry, right? Um, But I mean, I guess the industry is more in, in the gear and the, and the travel associated because, uh, or is, or do I have that wrong? No, I I think you're right. The, the, a lot of it is the gear. A lot of it is the, the travel, um and um you know and also just associated economic spin-offs with that stuff it's it's true though the land access is not where the money is being being made right i mean so you know maybe the maybe there's room for for that to be um taken into consideration as well i mean you know mec is not likely especially given their new organizing uh principles to to do it but you know i feel like you know, they, they could have been uh, distributing uh, funds back to, uh, you know, at the very least the, um, you know, MST, uh, you know, host nations in, in Vancouver, uh, you know, as a, as a, as an acknowledgement of just how much those, those territories have, have uh, been a boon to them in, in a very direct way. Yeah. Um, there's definitely room to, to, to try out new things and um, definitely it would be good to see some of this, this uh, these monetary benefits 
going back to the keepers of the land. So, but like you say, one of the things that's just so beautiful about uh, outdoors, you know, hiking, walking. I mean, it, it is this. It is this sort of uncommodifiable hard kernel. I think it's, um, I think the name of the uh, author is uh, Frédéric Gros, uh, who wrote uh, a, a, a history of walking or a philosophy of walking for Verso books. And uh, yeah, it's one of the things that he talks about is this, this, this attempt, this, this always failed attempt to try and commodify walking. And you just, you just can't do it. It's, it's this thing where it's this interface of human beings with the nature that just surrounds them in this way that's just too primordial. Um, it, it's, it's, it's prior to profit making and, and, and selling you anything. Yeah. There's something about being able to, to walk out the door and, uh, and just walk, uh, you know, and, and, you know, not be <laughs> charged anything or, uh, yeah, there's 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 real you know freedom in that, and and it's uh, yeah, I mean that's, that's why I love hiking. Well, it's also nice to be able to walk on my door and walk uh, with you. I uh, often have to sign off on these uh, podcasts by saying to the person that I look forward to uh, when we're allowed to see each other. But uh, you are in my uh, little walking bubble of. Uh, uh, people I can uh, socially distantly uh, see outdoors uh, as my uh, beloved neighbor. And so I will uh, see you sooner than most. But I'm very, very glad that you came on the show today. And I am so happy that book number two is out. Congratulations, Stephen, on destination hikes in and around southwestern British Columbia. Top five BC bestseller. And uh uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for you, man. Oh, thanks, neighbor. <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for having me on. And it's, uh, it, it was great to have this chat. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.